You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, let's redeem our time together today. Let's go straight to God's Word, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's go to chapter 8 together. Matthew chapter 8. Ramsey's, they're here on the front row if you're looking. There you go, Brooke. Your husband's right here. So Matthew chapter 8 is where we're headed. You're welcome. Matthew chapter 8. Let's go to verse 23 together. It's a great passage. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard it. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew writes this story. The Gospel of Mark writes this story. The Gospel of Luke writes this story. So Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at verse 23 together. And when he, speaking of Jesus, got into the boat... His disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by by the waves, but, but he was asleep. Jesus slept through this. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, he stood up, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? We're in a series right now called Break Every Chain. And this morning, we're going to talk about breaking the chain of circumstantial happiness. Let me help you with a little definition of what I'm talking about today. You see it on the screen behind me. Circumstantial happiness is loving life, but only when all is well. It's being content with everything as long as there is calm. Circumstantial happiness says, God, I love life. I love everything around me. I love what's happening except when things are going badly. And then I'm down. Then I'm out. Then I'm depressed. Then I don't want any of this. So circumstantial happiness is just being happy depending on the circumstances, depending on the situation around you. Let's, let's, don't close God's word. Let's go back to verse 23. Let's see what's happening here. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. This, this is a time in the life of Jesus. I know we're just in chapter eight, but he's already taxed. He's already exhausted. There are people requiring things of him consistently. People are inquiring of him, uh, of who are you and why are you here? And what is this kingdom about? And do you really claim to be the son of God? And so at this point, Jesus is exhausted. He has healed people. He has cast out demons. All these things have already happened in his ministry and he's done. He wants to get on the boat. He wants to get on the lake. He wants to get on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This might be a good time to remind you all, it is a myth that spiritual people never need a retreat. Jesus needed some time. He needed to press the pause button. He needed to rest. He needed to sleep. He was going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And his disciples, they must have been taxed also, or at least they were so desperate to always be around him. They climbed to that boat with him. They were going toward the other side. In verse 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great storm, a great storm on the sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually not a sea. It's a lake but it behaves like a sea. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet, 680 feet beneath sea level. A few weeks ago, I showed some maps and enthused all the map nerds here. So I'm going back to a map again this morning. If you don't mind, see on the screen behind me, you see a topographical map of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This to the the upper left, you see on your screen, that's the Mediterranean Sea. And the Sea of Galilee, of course, the big blue body of water right there in the middle of, of the map. 
Now, you really can't tell a whole lot about the fact that there's storms that just happen suddenly and violently on that sea, unless I place on top of that mountain, on top of that map, the mountains. So you see uh, to the east, uh, excuse me, to, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, you see Mount uh, Tabor. There you see uh, Mount um, Albi or Alber as well to the west hand side. Then on the northeast side, you see Golan Heights. Now, if you've been watching any news the last 24 hours, the Golan Heights have been all over the front pages of the news because our president, who every now and then likes to stir things up, decided to stir some more things up. And so the Golan Heights are all over the news today, but that's in the northeast section, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. To the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in all of Israel and Syria and Lebanon. There's snow on the top of Mount Hermon. In fact, you can ski on the top of Mount Hermon, the north of the Sea of Galilee. So you see that the Sea of Galilee is just surrounded by these mountain peaks, these mountain ranges, and these heights. But what you can't see that I'll show you on the next map is the little channel that goes into the Sea of Galilee from the north, and then the channel that goes out of the Sea of Galilee to the south. That is the Jordan Valley, this entrenched valley. And so you can kind of see that this wind tunnel that is created coming from Mount Hermon going down south toward the Sea of Galilee, then that channel that goes out. So it's not just a, a wind channel, it's actually a tornadic channel because you also have all the valleys you see on the topography there to the east and to the west. All that wind comes sweeping down those valleys and begins to churn things up even today. There are these violent, sudden storms that hit the Sea of Galilee. And they were out there on the boat uh, they were in the middle of this, this great storm. In fact, the Bible calls here not just a storm, but a, but a great storm. The, the Greek word right there is megastomos. And megastomos, we get that word stomos uh, in English, the word seismic from that. But it's the same Greek word for, for earthquake. So there was this violent shaking of the sea and the, the, the fishermen, they were, they were terrified. If you don't mind for a second, just make your eyes really big for a second and turn to your neighbor and say, it was a big storm. Turn to your other neighbor with big eyes and say, it was a big storm. It was a big storm. I'm glad that you agree. Let's take a few truths from this passage this morning. If you're a note taker, you can write these things down. Let's see what God says to us through the scripture this morning. Here's the first thing. There are some storms you can't dodge. There are some storms in life that are inevitable. Uh, they will happen. Storms will come to our lives. I just wrote down a few things that maybe you will face or I will face or we will face this coming year or these coming years. Maybe sickness or money shortage or a prodigal child, a job layoff, cancer, not getting picked for something, the death of a spouse, the death of a family member, the death of a friend, a loved one. I mean, there's some storms we just, we can't dodge. This week I also began to write down the storms that Jesus didn't dodge. And I wrote down betrayal and loneliness and hunger, homelessness and physical abuse, isolation and death itself. You see, humanity, humanity can't just dodge all the storms. And a lot of us in this house will use a lot of energy trying to dodge the storms. And you can dodge a few storms in your own power, but, but you can't dodge all the storms. It's inevitable. Storms will come. There are some storms in our lives that we simply cannot dodge. And underneath that, I want to give you a little statement, and I want you to own this statement, so I'll put it into first person for you. Here's what I wrote for you. I won't break free from storms, but the storms don't have to stay in me. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, since the fall of humanity... I will face storms and you will face storms. 
But in the middle of those storms that were created with the, with the, with the sin of man, the fall of man, and the fall of creation, it does not mean that those storms have to be consumed inside of us, that we don't, we're not consumed with the storms. Those storms don't have to become us. So I want you to own that statement this morning. I won't break free from all the storms, but the storms don't have to stay in me. I think this is what's happening here in verse 25. When one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, save us, Lord. We're dying. We are perishing. Now, I shared with you earlier that not only does Matthew record this story, but Mark and Luke record this story also. And I want you to see how Mark records this story. So Mark chapter 4, verse 38, you see on the screen behind me, one of the disciples said to Jesus, according to the gospel writer Mark, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you even care, Jesus? I mean, water is coming over the boat. We are about to die. We're about to perish. Do you not even Care. Now, this may sound like a blunt and crass statement from the disciples to, to Jesus. Do not even care about us. But here's what was happening. That, that disciple was trying to transfer his fear to Jesus. He was trying to transfer the, the danger of that storm to Jesus. And I just want you to know this morning, if you don't hear much of anything else, please hear this. We don't have to sanitize our words when we come to God. You can just lay it out before him. You can just lay out your request, your, your, your fears before him. This is what's, what's happening. These, these disciples were trying their best to push the fear in their hearts onto Jesus. And I would say that every time a storm comes, you don't have to internalize it, friends. You can transfer that to Jesus. Every time a storm comes, you don't have to be consumed by it. You can redirect it to Jesus. Yes, you won't break free from all the storms. The storms don't have to stay in you or stay on you. And it doesn't seem that Jesus was even, he, he wouldn't perturb. He wasn't nonplussed at all about his disciples saying, don't you care? Instead, he just allowed that fear, that trembling, the danger of the storm just to be transferred to him. Here's something else, another truth that I get from this story that I want to pass along to you this morning. Circumstances constantly change. Jesus never does. Jesus does not change in, 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 his, in his character, in his perspective, in his power in the middle of that storm. Circumstances, we know this in this house all too well. Circumstances go up and down. They are constantly changing, but Jesus never does. And let me give you a little sub point for those who are young here today or those who are young at heart. Here's what else I wanna tell you. Jesus rides roller coasters. Stay with me. Jesus rides roller coasters. Uh, there's something in this passage I want to make sure that, that, that you see. In fact, this will break you free from circumstantial happiness. Jesus is there in the storm. He is present. He doesn't jump ship. He is there with these disciples, with these followers. He is in the boat with them. Have you noticed in life that people bail when we go through storms? When, when the skies of your life are turning gray, have you noticed that people run and duck for cover? Have you noticed in your own life when you think you might sink that people often just swim away from you? They get away from you. They don't want to be around you. Have you noticed sometimes in your life where it feels like your life is about to splinter into pieces that people just get away as fast as they can from you? In fact, it's in storms that you and I find out who our authentic friends are. And I want you to hear me carefully. There is no friend as faithful as Jesus. He's there. He's present. If you're here today and you're in the middle of a storm and the circumstances are going up and down, you have no idea which way is up, which way is down, Jesus is present. He rides in our storms. He stays in our boat. He does not abandon ships. Jesus rides our roller coasters. 
He's a present God, no matter the circumstances of our life. You know, the disciples at this point had seen so much. They'd already seen again by chapter eight, so many things had happened. Leprosy had been healed. Demons had been uh, cast out. Diseases had been cured. This is just in Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter eight. The lame had walked again. They had seen the power of God. And there are many at Highland this morning. You've seen God do great things. You've seen God do mighty things, miraculous things, powerful things, things that only God can do, things that only God can get the credit for. You have seen God be so faithful to you in power through prayer. You have seen God so mighty to save you. And this is why the disciples, I think, when they came to Jesus, he said to them these words. Look in your Bible again, chapter, chapter 8, verse 26. And he said to them, then why are you afraid? This is just John Dermott's opinion. It doesn't have to be your opinion. I don't think he was mad. I think he was perplexed. Wait a minute, you have seen me cast out demons? You have seen the lame walk again? You have seen people with leprosy healed, diseases cured? And, and you come to me, why, why are you so afraid? You, you have such little faith. He didn't say you have no faith. He said you have little faith because they had seen the power of God. Verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then, I love this part, this gives me goosebumps. Then he rose. He'd been asleep, according to the gospel writer Mark, he was asleep on a cushion. And they came running to him, don't you even care about us, we're dying. I don't know what it is in scripture, but when Jesus stands, I just wanna pay attention to what's gonna happen next. Jesus rose, Jesus stood, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. The word rebuked means he censored them. He admonished them. Again, I'll bounce back to, to Mark chapter four when, when Jesus stood up in the boat, he said two things. Peace, be still. And somewhere in our church world, we have made those such pious sounding words. They weren't soft words. I know that today, peace and be still kind of sounds like soft words. They were demanding directives from Jesus. Modern day translation, sorry parents, shut up and stay shut up. <laughs> Sit down and stay down. This is what Jesus said to the wind and to the waves. He spoke to them and, and immediately when he rebuked, when he admonished the, the winds and the waves, and I don't know up in heaven if we're gonna watch videos of things that happened in the past, but I wanna see that one. I would love to see that on video. For Jesus to stand up and to rebuke, to censor, to tell the waves to shut up, to tell the, the sea to sit down, and stay down. And the Bible says right here that when he rebuked the wind and the sea, now don't, 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 don't miss this, he didn't roll up his sleeves, he wasn't conjuring up something, he didn't clear his throat, he rebuked two things. He rebuked the wind, then he rebuked the sea. In fact, the disciples confirmed this in the very last verse of our chapter this morning, verse 27, or the very end of our passage this morning. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The wind dies, the waves stop, 
and there's great calm. Do you remember what kind of storm it was at the beginning? It was a great storm. You, you told it to your friends around you twice. It was a great storm. But you notice what happens now? Now there's a great calm. There was a mega seismos, and now there's a mega galony, a peaceful, crystal clear lake. This is Jesus. And this is not just power. This is divine power. Because maybe, just maybe, we could chalk up his demanding directives to the winds kind of stopping circumstantially at the same time. But you water people, you lake people, you know this, when the wind dies, the waves still roar. And he spoke to the wind and it stopped and he spoke to the sea and it was peaceful like glass on the Sea of Galilee. For the creator of the universe, it is nothing to still the very forces that he called into existence. You see, the wind was on loan from God. And Jesus spoke. And creation itself bowed down. Matthew says they marveled. I like what Mark said. Mark said they were terrified. Who, who is this man? I mean, it's one thing for, for leprosy to be healed. It's another thing for nature itself to bow down. The winds have died. The, the sea is now glass. It is not just calm. It is mega calm. It is greatly calmed. And why is it, do you think, Highland, that in the middle of this, Jesus went straight to their faith? Look at verse 26 with me one more time. This will be the third time we've read this. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. I would think at this point the disciples were not thinking anything about faith. They were thinking about, about wind and storms and life and death and, and what would their, their families do without them. And here they are, these men. I mean, they had seen plenty of storms. These guys were fishermen. Not very good fishermen. Have you noticed every time in the Gospels they're never catching fish, but they are, they are fishermen. And they've been on the water before. They, they understand storms. I mean, six of the disciples, uh, Peter and Andrew and Philip and James and John and Nathaniel, they grew up there on the lake. They grew up there on the Sea of Galilee. They were thinking about their death. They were thinking about their livelihood. They were probably thinking about their families. And Jesus goes straight toward their faith. What does this have to do with faith? Well, here's my last statement for you this morning. Everything has everything to do with faith. Nothing has nothing to do with faith. Everything has everything in this life to do with trusting God and fixing our heart, our, our, our attention, our affection, our eyes set upon him. Everything has everything to do with faith. So in, in the middle of this storm, Jesus goes straight toward their faith. You see, no storms, no faith needed. Storms, you're gonna have to have some faith. And this is good because Galatians 3.11 says the righteous will live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, it's impossible to please God without faith. So God took these men to a place where the only thing they had going for them was faith. And this breaks the chain of circumstantial happiness. And can I dare say to you this morning that sometimes the greatest gift God may give us is a storm. 
We're gonna close differently today because I like to do things differently. I don't want you to close your eyes, but would you bow your head with me real quick, please? I don't want you closing your eyes because I don't want you falling asleep. I want you thinking for a second. Let me, just, let me just ask you this question. Would you locate a storm in your life right now or a burden? It might be a sickness or something that's broken, a broken relationship. It might be hurt. It might be some fear. A circumstance, a situation you find yourself in even this very morning. Would you locate that storm right now in your life? And maybe in your heart, or maybe you even want to whisper this. this, this is up to you. Would you just tell the Lord, I recommit myself to walk with you and to run to you. God, I commit myself today to walk with you in the storm and run to you in the storm. Could I also ask you to tell the Lord in your own words something along these lines. God, I am recommitting myself today to give my burdens to you repeatedly and consistently. Some of the fact of God, I redirect that storm to you. Take my fear. Take my uncertainty. And God, I commit to do that to you repeatedly and consistently. And lastly, can I ask for you to make this big statement to God, God, I just recommit myself to live by faith. Sight is so deceiving. So God, I recommit myself today to live by faith. Jesus, we thank you for storms. That sounds so counterintuitive to say. Maybe maybe even ridiculous to say to some are walking through some really intense storms. But no storms, no faith. Great storms, our faith is activated. We don't want to be consumed by the storms. We don't want the storms to stay in us. We'll transfer the fear and the danger back to a God who does not need our sanitized words the fullness of the honesty of our hearts and lives. God, we recommit ourselves to live by faith. It's in Christ we pray.